Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Well, good morning and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. It's uh, one of the the sad things about our pandemic, uh, as far as the church is concerned, is we've missed a number of very special services. And our Memorial Day service was always one of my favorite services and unfortunately we're not going to be able to to have a normal Memorial Day service uh, uh, this year and so we're going to continue on in our our series in the the Gospel of John but we certainly want to take the opportunity to thank those men and women who have served uh, in our armed forces and have uh, uh, made that sacrifice for us and uh, we certainly greatly greatly appreciate that. But if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to John chapter 10. We want to finish John chapter 10 this morning as we think about the idea of Jesus being equal with God the Father, uh, equality with God. And and that's something that uh, the Jews are going to understand exactly what he means when he claims that. And uh, we begin this morning in verse 22. And go to the end of the chapter. And so if you have your Bible, follow along as we read. It says, Now it was, verse 22 of chapter 10, the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep, of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blasphemy, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Equality with the Father. You know, one of the things, again, in our new world that we are living in today is we have to wear masks. I don't know if you've been out of the house much or gone to the store Uh, with your mask on, but one of the difficult things right now is kind of seeing who somebody is and identifying somebody. You know, I I enjoy going to the mall or to Walmart or Martin's, whatever, and running into people I know and talking with them. Uh, But now that we have masks on, you're sometimes never quite sure, who is, is that really who, who are you? And, uh, 
And maybe you've done that even with someone that you used to know and they've kind of changed their look a little bit and, and eventually you might even have to say, who are you? Well, that's kind of what we're going to see here this morning where the Jews come to Jesus and they say, you know what, just tell us plainly, stop beating around the bush, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And uh, we want to see that Jesus is going to say to them, hey, I already told you and I've already shared that with you and you just didn't believe me. So let's look at that this morning because you, the uniqueness of Christianity is found in the uniqueness of the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the infinite value of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ rests upon the significance of who he is, the significance of his person. We've been looking in the Gospel of John this year for the answer to the most important question, who is this Jesus? Because everything in Christianity rests upon the answer to that question. If Jesus is a sinner just like you and I, then he cannot offer up an effective sacrifice for our sin. You know, he'd be no, no value to that. And if he's just another human being, if he's not God, his sacrifice cannot have infinite value. It cannot cover the sins of the entire world. So everything hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. And the value of his work rests upon the significance of his person. Here in the passage before us this morning, John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, we really come to the climax of our search. Who is this Jesus person? This passage very plainly and straightforwardly answers the question. In the passage before us this morning, Jesus makes a claim that goes beyond all other claims. And he goes right to the heart of the question, right to the heart of the matter. Who is this Jesus? You know, again, as I reflect upon my growing up years, uh, even as a, a, a child and maybe even as I got into adulthood, there were, there were times that I would say, you know, why didn't Jesus come right out and tell everybody, this is who I am. I am the Messiah. And the fact of the matter is, I had to learn, and as, I, as we grow in the faith, I had to see, he did. He did that numerous, numerous times. But in this passage, it is very clear and very plain. And very open, Jesus answers this question once and for all. So let's dig into it a little bit today and see what we can learn from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. The first thing I, in our outline is the challenge. And the challenge comes from the, the religious leaders as they challenge Jesus as to who he was. If you notice in verse 22, the setting is now the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it is win winter. So once again, uh, the setting is in the city of Jerusalem, but now it's during the Feast of Dedication, not the Feast of Tabernacles. Over the last few weeks in chapter 7, 8, and 9, and even the beginning of chapter 10, I believe, they all those events all occurred at the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles uh, was the, the, the feast that was uh, occurred in the fall of the year, somewhere mid-September to mid-October, somewhere in that vicinity, where all the, the Jewish men were to report to the city of Jerusalem, present themselves to God at the temple. And it appears that the first 21 verses, even of chapter 10, occurs during the Feast of Tabernacles. And now as we come to verse 22, it says it's the Feast of Dedication. So if the first 21 verses was during the Feast of Tabernacles, we've had about a two-month gap 
between verse 21 and 22. Because the Feast of Dedication, as we see, is in the wintertime. Somewhere mid-December would be the time frame for that. And so a little bit of time has passed. And let's just talk about the Feast of Dedication for a moment. We talked about the Feast of Tabernacles being that time where the Jews celebrated the, the protection of God and the, the provision of God during the, the wilderness wandering time period. And they would come to the city of Jerusalem for that eight-day feast, and they would live in lean-tos and festivals. And we had the, uh, the, the, the great de- declaration by the Lord Jesus Christ that, you know, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And we saw the, that uh, that came from the, the priest going down to the pool of Siloam and, and drawing water out every morning and pouring it out over the altar. And then we saw the great declaration, I am the light of the world. As also at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light those four great candelabras uh, that would give light really to the entire city. And Jesus used that as an opportunity to say, no, I'm, I'm the light of the world. Well, now he's at the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication was not one of the original feasts that was laid down for the nation of Israel by God in the Old Testament. This is a feast that celebrated the rededication of the temple that occurred under Judas Maccabeus in 165 BC. During that those silent years between the end of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. During the the rule of the Greek Empire, during that time when the Greek Empire ruled the world, a a man that we know uh, and hear about and we know about from Scripture and even his foreshadowing of the Antichrist, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes was on the throne and he attacked the city of Jerusalem. And I've shared that story with you many times, and I really don't want to get into that too much, but this is the story where uh, Antiochus had attacked Egypt, and by attacking Egypt, he had to go right through the, the nation of Israel. And when he got to Egypt, Egypt had called for help from the, the city of Rome, and Rome had sent a representative to tell Antiochus, if you attack Egypt, you are attacking Rome, and Rome is going to attack you. And, and if you remember that story, Antiochus said, well, can I have some time to think about it? And the, the envoy drew a, a circle in the sand around him with a sword, and he said, when you step out of that circle, I need your answer. And so Antiochus had to back down. He was not looking for, for battle with Rome. And as he passes them back through the, the land of Israel, he's, he's angry, he's irritated, he's embarrassed, he's, he's upset, and he he gets into a, an altercation with the Jews, and, and he attacks the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he killed a lot of Jewish people. He conquered the, the city. He uh, erected an idol of Zeus in the temple, and then he offered a pig on the altar. He then took the, the blood from that pig, and he sprinkled that blood in the Holy of Holies there in the temple. He poured some of that blood on the holy scrolls of Scripture, and then he cut the scrolls and he burned them. And so what has happened here is that the temple of the Most High God has been polluted. It's been profaned. It's been defiled. It's been desecrated. And we're not going to go into the whole story of the Maccabean Rebellion, but the Maccabean Revolt occurred, and over the next three years, there was guerrilla warfare as the Maccabees fought with the the forces of Antiochus, and miraculously, 
the Jews were able to retake the city of Jerusalem. And under the leadership of this man, Judas Maccabeus, they rebuilt the altar of the temple and they rededicated the temple. And the feast that that celebrated that event is the feast that we're talking about here, the Feast of Dedication. We now call that the Feast of Hanukkah or the Feast of Lights because lamps and candles played a large role as the Jews in their homes would light those candles as part of the celebration of this feast. This feast is celebrated, verse 22 says, in winter. Uh, during the month of December. So this is, when you see the Feast of Dedication, this is our modern-day Feast of Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, and this is the time period that, that we see here in John chapter 10. We see that Jesus is in the temple area, verse 23. He's in a place called Solomon's Porch, and he is surrounded by the Jewish leaders, and in verse 24, they say to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? Here's the challenge. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. He is surrounded by these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, who challenge him to plainly declare to them whether or not he is the Messiah. Now, as I mentioned earlier, as we read through the Gospel of John and as we look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Clearly, he has done this over and over and over again. He has told them who he was. But since he was not fulfilling the image that they had in their minds of who the Messiah was, since he was not pursuing the agenda that they had in their minds of what the Messiah ought to do, they didn't believe him. So here we see them once again challenging him. Hey, be more definitive. Declare plainly if you are the Messiah. And what we see here is that they are asking the right question. But given all that they had heard and seen throughout his earthly ministry, and considering their hostility to Jesus during that ministry, we have to question their motive. We have to question their motive. This doesn't seem to be an honest request for information. Hey, are you the Messiah? We want to follow you, but tell us plainly. No, that doesn't seem to be that at all. It seems to to be very clear that once again, this is another attempt to trap Jesus into saying something for which they can get rid of him. Their strategy was to make him declare plainly And the word plainly there means publicly or openly. We we want you to, to declare plainly, publicly, openly that you are the Messiah. And that then would give them a reason to arrest him. That's the challenge that we see here. So it's during the Feast of Dedication. It's in the wintertime. Jesus is teaching in the temple, in the temple area. These religious leaders gather around him and they say, Hey, we want you to declare, are you the Messiah or not? Please tell us plainly. But once again, it is not so that they can know and worship and accept him. It's so that they can get rid of him. Well, let's look at the claim, secondly, then, that the Lord Jesus makes. And we see that beginning in verse 25. As his reply was simply, uh, in verse 25, "I, I told you, and you do not believe. Jesus said, I've already told you. That is, I am the Messiah. 
And the problem is not that Jesus had not told them. The problem, verse 25, is they haven't believed what he told them. Oh, he told them, I am the Messiah. They just didn't accept that. And not only had he told them, but the miraculous works, look at verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Not only have, has he told them, but the miraculous works that he has done in my Father's name, those works bear witness of who he is. Remember, as we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, some of the people have been saying, hey, no one ever has done the things this guy's done. In fact, a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 9, when Jesus gave sight to the man who had been born blind, the people bring him to the Pharisees because there isn't this proof that he's the Messiah. Nobody can do this. And so Jesus has made the claim and the works have backed up the claim and those works have been done in, notice, in my Father's name, verse 25. They bear witness of me. See, Jesus is telling them that they have... They have more than just my, you have more than just my word for it. You have God's witness as he speaks through the miracles to authenticate the claims that I made. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 for just a moment. In Acts chapter 2, we see in Peter's great message there on the day of Pentecost, he refers to this. In verse 22 of Acts, uh, of Acts 2, he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by what? Miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. So there in the, the book of Acts, Peter in his great message says to the people, Hey, you not only heard him make these claims, but the works that he did, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, they all gave evidence to the fact that he was from God. They authenticate the claims of God, of Christ. And you know, if anyone should have got it, it should have been the religious leaders. If anyone should have understood Jesus was from God, anyone who saw the miracles and saw the signs and saw the things that he does should have known he was from God. So the problem is not a lack of a clear statement. The problem is not a, a lack of confirming evidence to support the statement or the claim. The problem is simply, verse 26, you don't believe. These religious leaders simply refuse to believe what is clearly stated and what is solidly confirmed by God. Verse 26, but you do not believe. And their lack of faith does not raise questions as to the validity of Jesus' claim. What do we see? We saw this last week. We see at the end of the verse, it just shows that you are not of my sheep, as I have already said to you. It demonstrated, not that Jesus isn't the Messiah, it demonstrated they're not God's sheep. They're not part of God's, God's fold. As we learned last week in John 10, in the first 21 verses, sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. Sheep respond to the voice of the shepherd. Sheep follow the shepherd. And the fact that these religious leaders were not responding only proves they weren't his sheep. 
They aren't part of God's flock. Well, Jesus goes on then in verses 27 through 30 uh, to, to give us a wonderful passage of Scripture that maybe many of us even have, have memorized, and, and it speaks to us about uh, just our security in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's, let's look at that, because Jesus goes on in verses 27 and 28 to claim once again, I am the shepherd. I am the shepherd. And as the shepherd, I know my sheep, and I give my sheep what they need. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What did we learn last week? The shepherd provides for the sheep. You know, one of the things we saw last week was uh, our, our leaders ought to be looking out for the best interests of the people. And the religious leaders were not looking out for the best interests of the people. Jesus was looking out for the best interests of the people. He sustains us. He protects us. He keeps us safe. And here in verse 28, Jesus says, I give my sheep what they really need. Folks, what is it that we really need according to verse 28? Eternal life. Eternal life. And then he keeps us securely so that we will never perish. And no one, will be able to snatch any of his sheep from his hand. So the good shepherd not only calls his sheep to salvation, not only calls his people to eternal life, but then he also guarantees the salvation of his sheep. You know, what Jesus is saying to us here in verse 28 is a, a very strong uh, affirmation of our security as one of God's children. The verse says to us, they shall never perish. And really, we, we could read it this way, they will indeed not ever perish. Never. Never perish. Folks, let me just encourage you with this. As As a child of God, once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, as one of his sheep is the way he puts it to us here, our security is not found in ourselves. If my security for salvation was found in me, I would be in a world of hurt. My security is not found in me and what I do. My security is found in the ability of the good shepherd to defend and protect and preserve his flock. What does he say? We are in the strong hands of the good shepherd. And who is the good shepherd? He is the eternal I am God. We are in those hands. And Jesus said, no one can slip through my hands. And may I encourage you with this, not only can we not slip out of his hands, we can't be snatched out of those hands either. He says to us, they shall never perish. We can't slip out. And neither shall anyone Anyone 
Snatch them out of my hand. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ has a perfect record as the Good Shepherd. He has never lost anyone. No one is able to snatch them out of his hand. See, that's the shepherd's responsibility. To keep the sheep. And Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And his sheep are securely kept. But don't stop there. Let's go on to verse 29. Because there he makes an even greater statement, another even greater claim. He, he says in verse 27 and 28, I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. In verses 29 and 30, he makes even a greater claim. I and my father are one. My father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. You see, not only is Jesus the Messiah, as they ask, are, are you the one? Tell us plainly. Not only does he say yes, not only is he the Messiah, not only is he the shepherd, but here in verses 29 and 30, he is one with the Father. He and the Father work together in perfect oneness. And both he and the Father are involved in keeping the sheep and bringing them into eternal life. There is a singleness of purpose here between Jesus and the Father. They are working together in perfect harmony and to the same end. They are one. And what is it that they are doing? They are keeping us secure. Jesus said, Nobody can slip out of my hand. You know, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. And even on top of that, the Father, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, maybe as a kid, you know, you had something really important, or mom and dad gave you maybe some money to spend. And maybe you were out somewhere on the boardwalk or somewhere. Don't you wish you could be on the boardwalk right now? You know, maybe you were at a store or whatever, and you gave your money to your dad because you knew dad could keep it safe. You know, somebody might snatch that out of my hand, but nobody's going to take it out of my dad's hand. And I know that's a terrible, terribly small illustration here. But what Jesus says is no one can take you out of my hand and no one can snatch you out of the Father. I and the Father are one. And by the way, the I and my Father preserve the separate individuality of these two persons. But they function together as one. And they are one in essence. We have one God. Three persons. Boy, that's the... The Trinity, wow, we, we struggle with that sometimes. But here Jesus said, we are, we are one. We function together. We're separate individuality. We maintain separate individuality, but we are one in essence. They are one God. And the statement here implies an equality between them. 
a full partnership. Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. So the challenge. Hey, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? The claim. Jesus said, yes. I've told you that over and over again. You just won't believe. I'm the the good shepherd. And those who do believe are kept securely in my hand. And not only that, I'm one with the Father. Which leads us to the controversy. The last thing for us this morning in verses 31 through 42. How do you think that went over with the religious leaders? Remember, they're asking him, they're challenging him, not so that they can really believe, they're challenging him so that they can find something for which to accuse him of. They've they've asked him to declare plainly who he was, and there is no question about what he said, and we see that they understood his claim very clearly, because look at verse 31. They took up stones again to stone him. Why? Why? Because they understood he was claiming to be equal with God. But again, it was not that his claim was not clear enough. It was simply because they would not believe him. Jesus says in verse 32, uh, What grounds are you going to stone me for? You know, for, for verse 32, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? Why are you going to stone me? My works have only been good. I have brought only healing and deliverance to people. Certainly the, the miracles I've done do not deserve the death penalty. And we see that it wasn't, look at verse 33, the Jews answered, For a good work we do not stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. See, he said it's not the miracles. It's this claim that you are equal with God that they consider to be blasphemy. You're just a man. And it's blasphemous. Wouldn't you agree with me? It's blasphemous for someone to claim to be equal with God unless it were true. Note here, Jesus answers them in verse 34. Oh, you misunderstood what I was saying. No, he doesn't say you've misunderstood his claim. He said, it is written, it, it, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God. Jesus said, Jesus doesn't say you misunderstood. They also notice that they don't link the miracles with his claim. They don't investigate the validity of what he said. They have never done that. They just have already assumed that, they, that he is not the Messiah. And so everything he does, they just totally forget about. And so Jesus, in verses 34 and 35, gives us a little bit of a difficult scripture. And and just a cursory reading of it kind of maybe confuses us a little bit. Let's try to think about that. He appeals, what he's really doing here, he's appealing to Old Testament scripture. Really, it's Psalm 82.6, where the term gods, he says, I, I said in verse 
34, you are gods. And what does he mean by that? The word gods there is the word Elohim. And it is applied in Psalm 82, 6 to men or angels who are acting under divine authority. And I think all Jesus is, is saying there in verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. And I think all Jesus is saying is this, if this term gods can be applied, used to apply to those who are acting under divine authority, certainly it can be used to describe the one who not only acts under divine authority, but who is set apart by the Father and sent into the world to carry out the mission of the Father. Surely, this term can be used of one who has such a unique relationship with the Father, one who truly is, verse 36, the Son of God. See, they ask for clarity. Are you the Messiah? They ask for a definitive statement. Tell us plainly. And Jesus clearly, publicly, openly, plainly states, He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is one with the Father. And then in verses 37 and 38, he challenges them to honestly consider this claim in light of the works that he has done. If I do not do the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Basically, what he says to them here is this. If, if what I've done if these miracles are not the works of the Father, then don't believe me. Don't believe me. But on the other hand, if what I do are the works of God, even though you don't want to accept my word, believe the works. You can't argue with the works. It's the works that demonstrate the fact that the Father and the Son are one. It's the works that demonstrate that, you know, they are working together as one. And we notice at the end of verse 38, Jesus says, The Father is in me, and I in him. And the implication here is very clear, folks. And it's one that we better get right today as well. You cannot reject Jesus the Son, without rejecting the Father who sent him. Without rejecting the Father who works in him. Without rejecting the Father who is one with him. You know, I think about our world even today, and it's even moving away from that, but we often hear, you can talk about God all you want, but don't talk about Jesus. But you can't do that. You can't separate the two. You can't say, I believe in God and reject Jesus because they are one. And here's the real issue. You cannot reject Jesus without rejecting God. They're one. They're one. Well, how do you think that went over? 
Well, as you might suspect, it only infuriated them. It only angered them even more. And notice in verse 39, Therefore they sought again to seize him, to arrest him, but he escaped out of their hand. We see in verses 40 through 42 that he goes to the other side of the Jordan River and he stayed there for for a time until really the time came for him to return to Jerusalem. You know, this area where Jesus goes to is the area where John the Baptist ministered. And those who heard John realized that what John had said about Jesus were true. Verse 41, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. You see, the claim was true. The evidence supported the claim. And the evidence was in abundance. It was simply a matter of whether or not the people would choose to believe. Verse 42, many believed in him there. But we know the religious leaders and many others in Jerusalem said, we don't believe this man. We don't believe him. See, that's still the issue for us today. The claim is clear. Here it is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the only way to to heaven. The claim is clear. Jesus is the Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the one who was equal with God. And the evidence is bountiful to support the claim. It's all recorded right here for us in the book of John. It's now simply a matter of belief. Remember what John said at the end of of his book? He said, "I, I wrote these things... John chapter 20, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He's the only way to eternal life. He's the only way to heaven. The claim is very clear. The evidence supports the claim. The question is, are you going to believe? Who is this Jesus to you? It's been our question since we started our study. And here we see Jesus saying very clearly, this is who I am. You ask who I am, here I am. I am exactly who I claim to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. The question is, for you, do you believe that? Father, thank you for just the the time in your word again this morning. Thank you for... The Gospel of John, which very clearly shows us exactly who Jesus Christ is. And Lord, I thank you that you are uh, the Savior. And Lord, that we are secure in you. Help us to have that assurance. I know that a lot of us struggle in that area. And we, we are not sure whether we believe in assurance. But Lord, help us to see that you're the one that keeps us. It's not up to us, it's you. And we are secure in your hand because you are one with the Father. Lord, if there are those here this morning who don't know Christ as their Savior, may today be their day of salvation. 
May they put their faith and trust in you as the only way to heaven. Thank you for the time we've had together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church, located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.